Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm David Baddiel. I'm a writer and comedian. I'm Saeed Avasi. I'm a businesswoman and a politician. And welcome to Muslim and a Jew Go There. Go where? We go into the area of conversation about being Jews and Muslims. I think that's where we're going. We're not actually travelling anywhere nice. I hope we are travelling at some point. At some point, when it's a huge hit, we'll do a worldwide tour. Exactly. But at the moment, we're going to go and have those conversations that most people dare not have. Yeah. Because those conversations are too important for us to avoid. And today, we're going to be talking about the issue of anti-Semitism within the Labour Party and its recent shenanigans in Rochdale. And Islamophobia rearing its head once again in the Conservative Party off the back of the Gaza ceasefire vote in the House of Commons. So should we start with Labour and their troubles in Rochdale, uh, which seem to be about anti-Semitism and Israel and everything that's going on? Yeah, I mean, this is a long-running saga now, started with the Corbyn years. But just for a, by way of a little bit of background, um, Sir Tony Lloyd um, passed away in January. He was the Member of Parliament for Rochdale. Off the back of that, there was a by-election called and uh, Azhar Ali was selected as the Labour candidate. And he was recorded in a Labour Party meeting putting forward a conspiracy theory about the 7th of October attack in Israel. And Azir Ali, as far as I know, I've never heard of him before, but apparently was someone who's looked at by the local Jewish community as being a bit of an ally, generally a moderate in the Labour Party, you know, part of the new Keir Starmer, don't worry, we haven't got any of the Corbynites anymore, guys. He was recorded saying that basically Israel had deliberately staged, uh, allowed the Hamas attack to happen on October the 7th in order to create the war in order to allow them and give them a reason to go into Gaza and do a lot of killing. So this is what Azhar Ali is alleged to have said. I quote, the Egyptians are saying that they warned Israel 10 days earlier. Americans warned them a day before that there's something happening. They deliberately took the security off. They allowed that massacre that gives them the green light to do whatever they bloody want. End quote. The problem with that, apart from it not being true, is that it it isn't just about Israel-Palestine. This is where I very much come in as a Jew who feels that the issue is about anti-Semitism, not about the Middle East. Conspiracy theory itself always has an anti-Semitic element. Mm. But the idea that Jews are scheming and complicit to the extent that they would allow thousands of people to be killed in order to achieve their malignant sort of political, socio-political, global ends, that goes back centuries and centuries and centuries. Yeah. It was an appalling suggestion that in the middle of trauma that has been experienced by so many Israeli families because of the 7th of October attack, that somehow this was some sort of false flag operation that was conducted by the Israeli state. And to his credit, he immediately apologised. But this is where the controversy arose. Unlike other people in the party before him, like Kate Ossamore or Diane Abbott, Azhar Ali was not immediately sacked by Keir Starmer. So, so but to, you know, the, uh, there was very straightforward, immediate political winning and by-election reasons why they didn't want to sack him. And the thing that happened with Diane Abbott was she was suspended from the party because she wrote a letter to the Observer essentially saying that Jews also Irish people and travellers do not experience racism and that essentially it was just prejudice such as I think she said ginger people might suffer from and that is a sort of amazing example of Jews and these other minorities not counting. She did say that it was a mistake and it was supposed to be a first draft and she didn't mean to send it but she has been suspended. Yeah. And, you know, and that was nearly a year ago. Yeah. And part of the kind of concern around the way in which the Labour Party is dealing with these matters is, are they deliberately delaying these disciplinary processes to stop these candidates standing at the next election? And then there was the other case of Kate Ossimore, who was suspended in January of this year uh, for saying on Holocaust Memorial Day that the situation in Gaza should be recognised as a genocide. And I think the issue with that is timing. 
Holocaust Memorial Day was not the day to be talking about the Gaza genocide. And if, as has now happened, they strike Azir Ali from the Labour ballot, they don't have a candidate, and that means that... What's his name? Oh, God, the guy with the hat. George Calloway. <laughs> George Calloway, the guy with the hat. Yeah. The, you, the, do you call him the guy with the hat? You know what I the call cat. him? Cat, the cat. The cat. Cat, 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 and the hat. <laughs> that guy is going to get in, which is obviously, like, a disaster for everyone. For anyone who doesn't know, the cat reference is because a long time ago, George Calloway was in Celebrity Big Brother. There's a very strange bit where George is wearing a leotard and he cats around and actually laps a saucer of milk for him. And purrs. Yeah. And, you know, somehow or other, that man is representing Gazans. And then what actually happened was another, I think it was the male, another recording emerged of Azir Ali saying again, and this is again the point, it's much more to do with conspiracy theory about Jews than it is to do with opinions about the Middle East, which is, he said, people in the media from certain Jewish quarters. Yeah, I think he was basically trying to defend another member of parliament who's been suspended. And the point about this comes back to, to a point which we should perhaps be clear about, which is a lot of this is about language and about certain types of recurring ideas. So... Like at a previous time when people were marching in support of Palestine, there was another incursion by Israel into Gaza. And at a march in Hyde Park in a couple of years ago, the activist Tariq Ali said, stop the occupation, stop the bombing and casual anti-Semitism will soon disappear. Right. As if anti-Semitism is totally dependent on what happens in Israel and is not a racism that gone back centuries and centuries and centuries. And indeed, there was quite a big global anti-Semitic incident three years before the State of Israel was established. But the notion is that anti-Semitism only really exists because of the actions of Benjamin Netanyahu. My radar is always up. When someone refers to the Jewish media, I don't think that's much to do with the geopolitics of Israel-Palestine. I think that's to do with a deeply embedded attitude towards Jews and idea of Jewish power. But I do think the Labour Party has this to answer, David, and that's that they had a report done called the Ford Report, Mm. which looked into handling of racism within the Labour Party, anti-Semitism, Islamophobia, anti-black racism. Um, And he found, amongst other things, that racism was weaponised to settle factional disputes and that there was a concern that there was a hierarchy of racism and that the way in which racism was dealt with wasn't just about the racism itself but was also about the particular individuals involved and he's been writing about the fallout of the kind of Azar uh, Ali case. I think there's also been an issue in relation to what exactly amounts to anti-Semitism because When I've looked at the various cases of people being suspended from the Labour Party, I'm quite surprised because there doesn't appear to be a coherent thread about what is considered to be anti-Semitism and what isn't. I mean, for me, one of the, I suppose, the most questionable cases is the one for Andy MacDonald, where he said, we will not rest until we have justice until all people, Israelis and Palestinians, between the river and the sea, can live in peaceful liberty. And he was suspended for using the words words from from the the river to the sea. sea. I think he said liver just then. Did I say liver? I think you said liver, (laughs) which would be fine if uh, if he was interested in that with onions. I'm just hungry. Do you like liver? I like liver. Do you like liver? I like it if it's very lightly cooked, as indeed Andy McDonald's liver might have been. But I, I agree with you that that's the Labour Party being what in Yiddish we would say is on spilkers by which we mean just over-worried and incredibly concerned about it and getting their knickers in a twist, specifically about the phrase from the river to the sea, which I think, to be fair, he's contextualised there by saying all people should live in liberty in that area, and it's just the use of that radioactive phrase, which is kind of mad. But can I say something about the Ford Report, which I, I think is important, which you referred to as well? So, firstly, the phrase hierarchy of racism. For start, I, I invented that, by the way. Yeah. It's now... And I invented it to mean... You do Jews- know you sound like goodness gracious me, because every time I use that <laughs> phrase, you say, you know, that was mine. They used to do this sketch where everything that was ever mentioned, you say, yeah, that's Indian, that's Indian. <laughs> every time I mention hierarchy of racism, you, say, you know, I invented that. Yeah, you know, well, I invented that. You know, I, 
I'm going to carry on doing it, you know, because, you know, I'm getting old and I need to build up my resources to pass on to my children in case yeah. there's any copyright. Exactly. In it. But but I, what, I invented it to mean that Jews were low in the mix of identity politics for progressive, that Jews were not the, the, the ones that they were concerned about. But now I notice that it's been turned into like, no, Jews are the ones that the Labour Party care about and they don't really care about anything else. And one reason why I think that is not entirely right is that I would say... They've done two reports basically into anti-Semitism in the Labour Party, the Chakra, the Chakrabarty report and the Martin Ford report. I would say it's almost impossible to imagine a report into institutionalised racism in, into any big organisation now with any other minority without a member of that minority leading the report. Mm. They're not Jews leading that report. Can mm. you imagine that? I mean, even the Tory report with Tony Sewell report that was much criticised at least it was a main member of the minority involved that was leading the report. Do you want uh, a bit of breaking news? Yeah. So after years and years of campaigning in the Tory party to have an independent review into Islamophobia, they appointed somebody, Professor Singh, who was not Muslim, to lead the report and who himself... When is that happening? Had historic, is that happening? It happened. It was, yeah, you see, the fact that you don't even know yeah, that it's true. happened no, it's just shows how pathetically awful yeah. that report was and what a whitewash it was. But what was fascinating was when he was first appointed, I raised the concerns that in the past he had made comments about Muslims which would, could be considered Islamophobic. So... You know, not only did we not have somebody who was informed, we had somebody. It would be like putting the anti-Semites in charge of doing a report on anti-Semitism. Okay, that's really interesting. So I take it back in that case, then that's happened to Muslims, and that's bad. So, but it, I don't think that would... I mean, I don't think if there was a report into homophobia, I, I, in my mind, or perhaps I'm wrong, but it seems to me would be mad for that, not to have an LGBTQ person heading that. And it's clearly not the case that when there was a report in, generally into racism, it was done by uh, headed by a person mm. of colour, right? Mm. But I would say it's part by thinking in general that the people who are allowed to define what racism is is the minority itself. And that is accepted by the wider community who are not members of that minority. That so, I agree so, with. So, I mean, maybe co-chair it. If you're really worried that you think, like, oh, maybe the Jews will be biased, which is, I think, what's behind it, the notion is if you have Jews looking at anti-Semitism, they'll be biased. That's essentially the idea. The trouble with that, it's a very old-fashioned idea, because now what we say is the minority should be allowed to define the racism against them. Yeah. Right, And that should be true of Muslims as well. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you. I think minorities who experience the racism should be the ones that define their racism, define their own experience. So I completely agree with you. And it's been my biggest battle with government who simply will not accept a definition of anti-Muslim racism, Islamophobia, which has been put forward by Muslim communities. They keep talking about wanting to do their own version. In fact, Michael Gove has just disbanded the whole work on Islamophobia. So I do agree with you. Minorities who experience the racism should be allowed to talk about what that racism is and define that racism. I suppose where I differ from you is that if you look at, for example, your party parliamentary group on British Muslims, it's co-chaired by Paul Bristow and Sarah Owen. Neither of them are Muslims, but both of them have constituencies with large Muslim communities and therefore they come from a fairly informed perspective. And ultimately, you know what I would like to see, David, is I would like to see everybody understanding anti-Semitism and being able to fight it and everybody understanding no, Islamophobia and being able to find it because that's the ideal world no, I agree where we shouldn't that. have I, to fight I, our I, own battles Yeah, I think we need time. to get back to Rochdale but just in terms of that I agree with you I think but the way that the wider community in terms of everyone is led there is led to that understanding, it has to be led there by the minority, not least because in the case of anti-Semitism, I'm sure Islamophobia as well, but I can speak for anti-Semitism, is many people don't understand what it is and they don't understand how to see it. In fact, they put Azir Ali probably doesn't quite understand when he's saying, oh, Israel did this as a conspiracy theory and they deliberately did it, or indeed saying quarters of the Jewish media. He doesn't probably know that that's anti-Semitic. He probably he just should think, do. I mean, come on, you shouldn't really be in public life. If well, you he's saying it in a public basics. meeting. He's saying it in a public meeting at a time just after the Labour Party's been investigated for anti-Semitism and then does a, does a massive apology for it in a way that sounds to me like, oh, oh, yeah, oh, I see now. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It, it seems to me yeah, like... Yeah, he should have known better. I think the fallout of the Rochdale you know, mess has been... Twofold. One, it's left Labour with no candidate. Yeah. And so here is a huge by-election, months before a general election, in the middle of this huge war that's going on in in Israel and Gaza, which has become such a big part mm. of this by-election, yeah. without any decent, reasonable candidate for yeah. people to vote for. And I think that's tragic, and it says something about our democracy. The second fallout, I think, for me, has been some of the write-ups in response to Azhar Ali, where there's almost been a suggestion that, oh, no Muslims can now be trusted 
adjusted because, of course, they're, they're all going to be anti-Jewish. That's kind of covered what's happening in Rochdale, which, as we speak, is playing out in the ballot box. But meanwhile, this week has also had a lot of noise going on on what you might say the Muslim side of the Jewish-Muslim fence, hasn't there? There has. I mean, it's been a crazy week in the Conservative Party, not to be outdone by Labour racism. They clearly decided to have their own version of their racism this week, which started off with a vote in Parliament actually on a ceasefire in Israel and Gaza. Can you run us through that? Because I think I understood what happened, but it was so weighed down with arcane parliamentary procedure that I think a lot of people don't really get how that happened. Um, So I'll try and do it in a nutshell. There are a number of days where the opposition have opposition days where they have the right to table something and for the House to vote on it. And this was one of the handful of opposition days which the SNP get. And they tabled a motion on the ceasefire in Gaza. Gaza. However, Labour decided that they were going to table their own motion mm. of a ceasefire in Gaza. And the mm. government decided they were going to table their own version of a ceasefire in Gaza. So in the end, all three political parties wanted the fighting to stop, but they had their own little tweaky version of what the wording was. Yeah. And what should have happened was that the SNP motion should have been called because it was their opposition day. But the Speaker instead called the Labour motion, which effectively was an amendment to the SNP motion. Yeah, so just let me try and un- try and unpick that for a second. So as far as I understood it, the SNP motion, which was for an unconditional ceasefire, would have been voted on, this is what Keir Starmer was worried about, would have been voted for by, I don't know, 70 or 80 Labour MPs, including members of the Shadow Cabinet. So it mm-hmm. would have been a massive problem for him that that would have happened. So he thought, well, if only we had our own motion that they could vote on that's a bit more conditional and a bit more, you know, allows me to still be play the statesman or whatever and but his problem was that it wasn't their day that was their problem exactly it wasn't their party to be to be you know princess yeah and but clearly they wanted to be and i think there was a lot of politics in that yeah lo- it's all Twofold. politics i'm not convinced it was just about the wording of the motion i think labor didn't want to be voting on an smp motion because yeah, it felt yeah. like they were following yeah. and remember in scotland at the general election the big battle is going to be between the smp and the labor party yeah. so this is all with an eye on the general election but what the suggestion is is that apparently labor said to the Speaker that there are a lot of parliamentarians within the Labour Party who are coming under pressure from their constituents to vote for a motion for a ceasefire and therefore we need you to call our motion so that the pressure is off. So again, it was politics. And then there's also talk that the reason why the government withdrew its motion and lots of people walked out was because the government itself was concerned that many of its backbenchers were going to vote either for the SNP or the Labour motion. Yeah, but also there was an element of the government throwing its toys out the pram, wasn't it? Because they were really rubbing their hands at the idea that this was going to be embarrassing for the Labour Party. You know, and, and at the end of the day, I don't know that much about the SNP, but I don't think that their motion itself was... I mean, I'm sure, obviously, there are members of the SNP who want to see a ceasefire in Gaza. There are also members of the SNP who also want to embarrass the Labour Party, particularly because the big fight in Scotland is between those two parties. And the tragedy was that, in the end, there were a whole load of politics being played with one-upmanship and... Meanwhile, the real issue of the war in Israel and Gaza was almost put to the side. And I think people watching this just thought, this is awful. It's Parliament at its worst. And the tragedy is that whoever's motion had been called and whatever vote had been passed would not have made a jot of difference to having the ceasefire. Now, obviously, there was a big demonstration, which is part of this, outside Parliament while that was going on. And that sort of leads you to where the Tory party start imploding around the issue of rightness and wrongness, as I believe they call it, around how they talk about Muslims. Yeah, a new form of racism has now been invented by the Tory party, which is called wrongism or wrongitis or whatever you want to call it. We need a definition for this, guys, so maybe somebody can uh, write in and help. But the So what happened was there was a demonstration of people who wanted a ceasefire outside Parliament. Some of them came inside Parliament to lobby their members of Parliament and they also projected the saying from the river to the sea on Big Ben. 
then. And interestingly, you know, I was in Parliament on that day yeah. and a number of times I had to walk out and in because I was going to various meetings and the crowd was actually really good spirits. So a couple of times people, you know, shouted me out, said, hey, Baroness Valsley, you know, and a couple of people shouted out various nice things about the Tory party. But okay. actually it was all pretty much good natured. OK, well, I mean, we might have to come back to that because I think, you know, that there's still issues with a huge crowd outside Parliament with certain things that were said by members of the Palestine Solidarity Committee in all, you know, about the type of pressure that they wanted to exert on Parliament. Because so, yeah, I'm sure they were in good spirits, but that might not be how it felt to mm-hmm. members inside the chamber. They might have felt threatened. I think that's not impossible. I don't think it's impossible. And I think more than probably what was going on on the day, l- members of parliament have had huge inboxes right. uh, with people writing into them and turning up at su- surgeries and saying to them, this is what we want you to do. I mean, if you look at all the polling in the in the UK at the moment, there is an overwhelming majority asking for a ceasefire. So you can imagine that that overwhelming majority is telling their members of parliament, we'd like you to vote for a ceasefire. Yes. OK, well, that's fine. And then that moved on to the MP for Ashfield, one Lee Anderson, who took it upon himself to say at an interview on GB News, that news channel, which in itself has been on the news over the last week because one of its co-owners, an ex-Tory donor, has been outed by an anti-racism charity, Hope Not Hate, as tweeting and retweeting and supporting some pretty vile racist and Islamophobic stuff. So to be exact, Lee Anderson said, I don't actually believe that the Islamists have got control of our country. But what I do believe is that they've got control of Khan and they've got control of London and they've got control of Starmer as well. So obviously the idea of the Muslims taking over in Lee Anderson's mind relates to Sadiq Khan, who's the mayor of London. And he sort of denied, didn't he, that was anything to do with him being a Muslim, but it seems like that must have been a bit in his mind. Yeah, and it's tragic because every time he's ele- he comes up for election, right, the Tories seem to have some sort of weird Islamophobic uh, campaign running against him. But Sadiq, I mean, my own sense of Sadiq, uh, you know, who I... I lit so it might just be worth mentioning so i lit the a menorah in trafalgar square this year it was quite kind of weird because it was you know right when things had kicked off and so there's a lot of security and it didn't feel like a very celebratory event but it was with sadiq and my sense of him is that he's really a friend to the jewish community he is and you know the, what i always say this is said it isn't just somebody who you know cares about muslim communities he cares about jewish communities he cares about hindu communities Sikh communities and he's really great in the lgbt space as well and he is the most inclusive liberal person you're going to find and if my party or anybody thinks sadik is part of the problem I'm sorry, but there is no solution. And the ex-Home Secretary Suella Braverman in an article said, the truth is that the Islamists, the extremists and the anti-Semites are in charge now talking about what had happened uh, in Parliament, um, to which um, obviously I had to tweet back and say the last time I looked, love, it was the Conservative Party who've been in charge for about the last 14 years. So there was this kind of drip, drip that was being put out by my colleagues. So something I need to say about you. So I think you've, you know, I've seen on Twitter, I'm going to call it Twitter, I hate calling it X, a lot of energy around you and you've been on a few other shows. I think really you should reserve your thoughts for this show. But anyway, you've been on other shows. Because, Do you want exclusivity? Yeah, really. You, you can't have exclusivity, But David. this is something you've been banging on about for a while. Yeah. You know, it's your gig, really, is, you know, there is problems, proper problems, deep-rooted problems with Islamophobia in the Tory party. Possibly reflect. I mean, not. I don't think they are exactly the same, but certainly, you know, considering the amount of conversation that there was about anti-Semitism in the Labour Party, that this is something that isn't talked about in the same way. And you, I think, in a way, even though quite unpleasant stuff has been said, it's been your moment to shine. So you know, it's, oh it's finally landed. I think it has, though. It's finally landed. Your thing, a thing that you've been talking about for a while. It's yeah. now being talked about properly, yeah? I think I think what's... I suppose in many ways, like you, David, I didn't set out to be a Muslim or an Islamophobia activist and it kind of found me and just like you probably, if you'd gone back 20 years, would have thought, oh, you, I would never have been, you would never have been in this space. I found myself in this space from about 2016 onwards where I started documenting and explaining to the party that we had real issues. But it was pretty much low level at that stage. It was members, it was social networks, it was stupid stuff said at meetings. 
But over the last eight years, it's got worse and worse and worse. And I think what's happened this particular week is that it's been so overt and it's been right at the top of the party and there've been multiple people engaged in this. And I suppose the positive that's come out of all this awfulness is that for the first time, my colleagues, many of whom have talked about this privately, have now spoken out publicly. So people like, you know, the ex-Chancellor, Sajid Javid, people like, you know, Steve Baker, who's who's a minister. So people at the heart of government and senior colleagues have spoken about it. So what do you think about, you know, the slightly weird way in which the Tory party, Rishi Sunak and others have dealt with this? Because they've suspended Lee Anderson, right? He's now lost the whip, OK? He says he's still going to stand mm-hmm. in the next election. But the interesting thing, I think, particularly from your point of view, is that none of them seem to be able to say, yes, it was Islamophobic, what he said. None of them, they've condemned it in sort of vague ways, but they've not said that word, right? They haven't. And and it's been really embarrassing to watch. It's almost been like a car crash. There's a little compilation, actually. There's a video which I've, I've tweeted out, which is just a compilation of all the ministers coming out and saying, well, it was wrong and it was wrong and it was wrong. and But they just can't say, actually, it was racist and it was anti-Muslim yeah. and it was Islamophobic. It's partly to do with the discomfort with the word, isn't it? I think, I think there were people in the Labour Party, David, who found the word anti-Semitism yeah. quite hard to say. Yeah. And they had to be brought to the issue kicking and screaming. Yeah, well, there's a thing that happens in in the Labour Party. It was very common and still happens a lot. People can't talk about anti-Semitism without adding and all other forms of racism. And I always found that the left's all lives matter, Mm. essentially. It's like we don't really want to focus on anti-Semitism. So as soon as we've said it, we have to mention all other forms of racism. And that's not exactly equivalent, but there is this sort of sense as well that we can't just land on Islamophobia as an issue for us to deal with in the Tory party. I think the Tory party have its own problem where the minute you say to them, you've got this issue of Islamophobia and anti-Muslim racism, they kind of say, well, Lee Anderson was wrong, but let's talk about anti-Semitism. And mm. it's been awful yeah, to well, see that. Yeah, well, I really that. hate something about this, which is when I was talking about the hierarchy of racism in Jews don't count, I meant in terms of the whole smorgasbord of discrimination, whereas what seems to be happening now when it's used in the conversation about Islamophobia, and I think maybe you used it in this context, is to say there's a hierarchy of racism in the Tory party with the implication that Jews are sort of high in the mix for them, and maybe they are, and Muslims are not. And I really don't like the idea that there's just this particular yoking together, Mm. because I think that it's troubling, I think it's troubling for all Jews, the notion that when there is a problem with Muslims, what happens is that Jews become the sort of stalking horse for that conversation, if you see what I mean. And I think I I agree with you because it's really disturbing that every time Islamophobia and anti-Muslim racism comes up, the first thing that my colleagues reach for is to try and make this about Labour anti-Semitism. So they actually yoke them together in that way. And it's almost a defence mechanism to say, don't talk about our racism, we'll talk about your racism. And it's deeply dangerous. So I think it's important for us to talk about it and say to both the left and the right... Don't weaponise anti-Semitism to beat the left Mm. and don't weaponise Islamophobia to beat the right. But actually stop using us as pawns in your political games. Yeah, I completely agree with that because I I don't think either party, to be honest, really care. I mean, maybe individuals do, but in the politics of it, I don't hear a real caring about Muslims or Jews. What I hear is people thinking, right, we're being attacked, so this is how we're going to attack them, right? And that's nothing to do with the individual lives of the community who might feel threatened in various different ways Mm. and expect our politicians to do something about it. Can I just bring something up which I think is a detail, which I think is important? So one of the things is the use of this this word Islamist, right? What does it mean and whatever? And I think that a lot of Muslims, and I think you said this, think that it's just in the way that people use the word Zionist in a very negative way to just mean Jew. They just mean Muslims, right? But what I think is interesting is that Lee Anderson is kind of responding, everyone's kind of responding to the idea that pressure was put on Parliament by a Palestinian demonstration. He particularly has gone on and on about the projection of from the river to the sea. Anyway... Ben Jamal, who is head of the Palestine Solidarity Campaign, who said, we want so many of you to come that they would have to lock the doors of Parliament itself, which I would say is a threatening thing to say. I Mm. think it is, right? He's the son of a Palestinian vicar and an English mother. Mm. As far as I'm aware, he's not a Muslim. Yeah, he's a Christian Palestinian. He's a Christian Palestinian. It's fine that I'm not saying he should not have his opinions. Obviously, he should. But I think in terms of the racism that I think is behind someone like Lee Anderson's statement... 
like a lot of these people doing this, they're not Muslims. Uh, well, this is what's fascinating for me. So when they talk about these hate marchers and Islamist marchers and whatever, and, and I'm thinking, you look out at the people who are involved in the, you know, whether you call it the pro-Palestinian, the peace space, right? The overwhelming majority of them are not brown people. Yeah. The overwhelming majority of them are not Muslims. And there's lots of people in there who are Christians and Jews and atheists and no religion. It's fine for so them to, to be that. I'm not complaining to, about that. I'm yeah. just saying... I think the reduction yeah. of the stereotype to Islamist immediately creates in most people's mind... Muslims. Muslims. Yeah. And a brown Muslim and someone and a very negative stereotype. Yeah, and, and that's not true of, of who of these the people... movement. Negative or positive, right? Yeah. I don't. I actually don't really like Ben Jamal saying you should lock the doors of Parliament. I mm. think that is threatening and yeah. he shouldn't have said that. But he's totally OK for, obviously, as a Christian, to be involved in the movement. But it's a completely different you know, image of who that is to what Lee Anderson is imagining. I completely agree with you. What they're trying to do is make it about Muslims. They're the easy target. Mm. They're the ones that we can actually perpetuate this kind of divisive rhetoric around. Because, you know, Swell has been doing this for many, many years and others have supported that process. And I have said so many... I don't use the term Islamist. And we probably need a longer conversation about the term Islamist and Zionist. I choose not to use either phrase, because there are many an anti-Semite with a long history of anti-Semitism who will use the word Zionist to mean Jews, and there are many an Islamophobe who have a long history of anti-Muslim racism who will use the term Islamist as a cover to mean Muslims. Mm, sure and I true. think they have, and you know, Robert Peston was really powerful on this to say, you know, j just like it would be wrong to say the Zionists have taken over ex-minister, to say the Islamists have taken over ex, you know, mayor or minister, and they're now in charge. This is exactly the same stereotype and exactly the same trope. I think that's correct. Again, it's a large conversation about the word Islamophobia. I think, like me, I you know, use the word anti-Semitism. I'm not entirely comfortable with the word anti-Semitism. You often get pedants who are basically just trying to stop you talking about it and they'll bring up stupid things like, oh, well, what is anti-Semitism? Because Semites, you know, that might be Jews, but it's also Arabs. And if it's Arabs, then you should be talking about that. And you're like, no, you know what it means. You know, I agree, yes, technically, Semites are Arabs, but everyone knows anti-Semitism, which, by the way, was invented as a term in 19th century Germany by anti-Semites, by people who hated Jews, they mean hatred of Jews. Uh, I would prefer anti-Jewish racism, partly because I spend a lot of my time trying to explain to people that anti-Semitism is racism, not religious intolerance. Anti-Jewish racism absolutely sums up what it is. I've given up on any kind of sense that that's ever going to happen, that people are going to use that more, because... It's a brand, for want of a better word, anti-Semitism. People know what it is, they use it, it's not accurate, but that's they know that it means hatred for Jewish people. It's really. fascinating. So, but Islamophobia is the same, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's fascinating because I don't like the word Islamophobia and I was actually involved in the APPG inquiry that came up with a definition of Islamophobia and I started off from a premise of, I don't like this word. And we went out for nearly two years and took evidence, tonnes of evidence on this. I like the term anti-Muslim racism and that's exactly the word that I was used. But actually, when we went out and took evidence, overwhelmingly, it was the word of choice, mm. despite, again, like anti-Semitism, it having its faults. And, you know, what does it mean? And, where, you know, how does it how do we interpret it? But again, it's the word we kind of stuck with. Yeah, I think it's good to make clear, because I guess a part of me and a part of other people as well uh, might say, well... Uh, to be able to criticise Islam, which is a religion, and other religions get criticised and satirised all the time, is something you should be able to do, right? Now, obviously, that's, that's an issue we need to discuss in, in another podcast episode, which is whether or not you can do that. But forget about that for the minute. What I mean is that the word allows people... Who, again, maybe in the same way that people like raise a kind of like pedantic thing about, well, what, what is a Semite as well? To say, well, obviously, in a free speech culture, you should be allowed to criticise Islam. It, to do so, is that Islamophobic? And I think that's where you get into a bit of a mm. difficult area. I mm. saw, in fact, you getting angry with Kemi Badenoch because she was suggesting that, you know, too much focus, I don't know exactly what she said, but too much focus. I think she was saying Labour would bring a blasphemy law in. Yeah. And blasphemy, obviously, is a different thing from 
essentially what we're talking about now, which is Islamophobia as a form of racism. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the really reason I got, I was getting a little bit uh, annoyed with Kemi was because she was actually not telling the truth because we had met about 18 months ago and we'd been Perhaps you should explain things. exactly what's going so on. So Kemi Badenoch is the Minister for yeah. Equalities. For years, the government has been dragging its heels on finding a definition of Islamophobia, anti-Muslim racism, call it whatever you want. So about 18 months ago, we had a meeting with her and I went through in detail with her what the definition was. And for me, interestingly, it was really important that the ability to be able to discuss, debate, criticise Islam and religion was an essential part of the definition. This is not about shutting down debate and discussion on Islam. This is about protecting people, whether those people pray, don't pray, you know, eat halal, don't eat halal, actually, whether they're even Muslim, because one of the strongest pieces of evidence that we heard during that inquiry was that um, Gurdwaras get uh, attacked and Sikh people get attacked because they're perceived to be Muslim because right. they wear turbans or the ladies dress like what would be considered to be Muslim clothes. And so Kemi was being completely disingenuous. This has all been explained to her. I was adamant that we do not have blasphemy laws in this country. We got rid of them many years ago and we're not going to reintroduce them. And so the ministers know this. The government knows this. And that's why, like I said earlier on this week, unfortunately, I was on combat bullshit duties this week. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Combat bullshit, I like. I mean, it's very interesting in terms of what this podcast is about, which is about allowing minorities to speak about themselves. Because it is, you know, that conversation, I think, on Twitter was between Kemi Badenoch and, and she was criticising Annalise Dodds with the idea that Labour would introduce a blasphemy. Well, neither of those people, obviously, are Muslim. Again, weaponising. Yeah, like, yeah, so yeah, weaponising this form of racism to yeah. have a, a smack at the Labour Party. And this has got to stop. Right. I think that's part of the problem with Islamophobia. But I agree with you. There, that is the word. And it does mean hatred of Muslim people and from a very kind of simplistic stereotype of what four million people in the UK are like. We're such a super hyper diverse community. Mm. To try and somehow lump us all together, it's just so reductive. Well, just to bring it back to now... And I think we should talk a bit about From the River to the Sea, by the way, a little bit. But now, in fact, this week, there was an article in The Guardian about a poll which suggested that 58% of Conservative Party members feel that Islam is a threat to the British way of life. And you are a Conservative Party politician, so how does that make you feel? So leadership is not about following your membership, is it? Leadership is about leading your membership. So I actually don't get too vexed about that, especially at a time when actually membership has been bombing. Bombing is probably the wrong word, isn't it? Is bombing the wrong word? Always uh, the wrong word. <laughs> so I think when membership has been falling so drastically, <laughs> yeah. I'm going yeah. to trigger myself, aren't yeah. I? When membership has been... Trigger's probably the wrong word, isn't it? Let's just get, keep going. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I'm not worried about vocabulary. When I, so when I think that, you know, it's when membership is falling, yeah. I'm sorry, I'm not going to get obsessed with what a tiny minority... I, mean, I think it's really important think. that someone on the right, you know, which you are, even though I think some of your opinions are quite left, really, but anyway, you are somebody who's on the right, is, you know, able to address this. Because otherwise, it has more power, I think. It does. And also, uh, you know, my inbox this week has been heaving with people who are conservative councillors, conservative activists, uh, people, you know, who are involved in the wider kind of conservative movement who are saying, you've got to keep going. We've got to bring this party back into the centre ground. And I suppose, you know, the kind of working class Yorkshire woman in me thinks, it's not your bloody party. I'm not going to just let you take this off to some sort of, you know, fascism fantasy land. So- let me ask you something quite complicated. I don't know the answer to this. No reason why I should, but I've thought about it quite a lot, which is I think it's really good that the Conservative Party, for all the fact that it has these really odd and extreme elements in it now, does have a very diverse front bench, does have many more diverse people in it, including Suella Braverman, who I know you radically disagree with. 
And does that raise an issue for you? I mean, it comes back a little bit to this idea of race and religion, that basically people of colour are, in your mind, being Islamophobic. I suppose I'm going to ask you the question, do you think that only white people can be racist? Yeah, but it's slightly d- different, I think, uh, because, like, uh, I, I definitely don't think only white people can be racist. But I think that I'm trying to define, you know, uh, I, I think part of the thing, like, I think Rishi Sunak slightly hinted at this when he was asked, like, something about whether or not he feels Britain is a racist country. And he said, well, it can't be. I'm living proof of that. Right. So, do you know how stupid that sounds? I don't think it sounds that stupid. Do you? Well, I, I think mean, he should be, be like, allowed. It would be, like Margaret, he... it would be like Margaret Thatcher saying, there is no sexism and misogyny in this country because look at me, I'm Prime Minister. And then decades later, we've still got a gender pay gap. Yeah, but nonetheless, there are more women in Parliament now, right? And there's lots of work to be done. But there are. But things... does that mean there's no misogyny or sexism? No, it doesn't mean there's no. But, I, I mean, actually, I happen to think that one reason why your stupid party voted for Liz Truss is because the membership are racist and did probably think, oh, I'm not sure we want a brown person leading us. So I think that's probably definitely the true. But the fact is, when I was young, when you were young, there'd be no way that Britain could have a leader who was a person of colour. Because it's true. So, so, so th- things have improved. Of course we should be allowed have. to say that. Of course they have. And if you look at visible diversity in all sorts of places in public life. So when I was growing up, the only two examples of diversity were Floella Benjamin on Play School and Trevor MacDonald on the news, right? Yeah, they were and, the diversity. And then John Barnes. I mean, I'm a lifelong, Barnes, li- yeah. I'm a lifelong Liverpool yeah, supporter it's right for because you. of John Barnes. You know who we had? Esther Ranson. That was it. <laughs> that was a good model, though. Oh, I love it? Esther Ransom, yeah. but she was it. Yeah, and so and so we didn't even have brown people. We just had to look at black people and say, oh, OK, that's a version of whatever we might be different. So if you're saying to me, visible, you know, visible diversity is phenomenal. No, I'm, asking, that- I'm, no, I'm not really asking. I'm just asking you how it... I'm really asking from a personal point of view. Like, when you're arguing with... Rishi Sunak, as which you kind of are, maybe not directly, but I assume you are, like and about specifically anti-Muslim racism. Like I'm interested in how that conversation intersects with someone who might have experienced racism. Yeah, it's fascinating because I was talking to um, Simon Woolley, who is Lord Woolley now, and in the 90s we worked together on Operation Black Vote, which is about getting ethnic minorities involved in politics. And I said to him, Simon, did I really think in 2024 I'd be fighting anti-racism battles against other brown people? I said, how far have we come, but also how backwards have we gone on all of this it breaks my heart to be to be in this space that you know that this form of racism is now coming from people of color but then you know david if you look across at burma myanmar you know we all thought buddhists were really peaceful people all the time we had these really you know a singular version of looking at communities and then we saw the you know the killing of the rohingya community and then you only have to look at modi's india to look at the level of racism there is now and persecution of christians and and dalits and muslims to realize that actually People of all colours and people of all religious backgrounds have their own prejudices and bigotry and racism. Yeah, and of course, Muslim countries in the Middle East have lots and lots of, of course racism and one implanted of, in their statehood. Completely, you know. and one of the one of the things that I'm most proud of in government is that the most work that I did was about the protection of Christian minorities, often in Muslim lands, including right. in places like Pakistan. And actually, when I resigned in 2014, I suppose one of the nicest things that was written was that today. Day, you know, the church has lost its strongest friend in cabinet. So I do think you've got to reach across those tribal divides and say you either speak for minorities wherever they may happen to be, even if that means your tribe, inverted commas, is the one that's harming that minority. You can't just say, well, I'm only going to stick up for my tribe. And I'm incredibly proud of my long history of speaking out for other minority communities. But I also think we've got to be brave enough to say racism isn't just a white problem and when brown people are being racist or allowing racism to flourish on their watch I mean one of the things I say is it would be a tragedy after the celebration of the fact that Britain has its first prime minister of colour he happens to preside over a tenure where the racism is rampant. Shall we talk a bit about something else that's been in the news, but I think related to this, which is, you know, we talked earlier about From the River to the Sea being projected on the House of Commons. It was also sung 
by Charlotte Church. Sorry, I'm laughing because there's something quite funny about it. Uh, I mean, I think part of the issue with someone like Charlotte Church doing that is that I think that it's a good example, actually, of what I feel about it, which is I think that most people have no idea what that means or what it might mean. Obviously, there are a number of different interpretations, but if you want to be literal about it, which is a notion that there's a part of Israel, Palestine, that should be allow a freedom, whatever that means, for Palestinians, so therefore a complete change in the statehood of those areas, I don't think anyone's thinking about that. Mm. Certainly not Charlotte Church. No. Sorry, Charlotte, if you're listening, but I think it's a statement of tribal identity, in this case, that she is for the Palestinian cause. And that isn't that different to, the, to when I say, you know, uh, that I think that uh, Chelsea are the greatest football team the world has ever seen, because I don't think that. So I, I, I know they're not. This uh, phrase, but, for me, from the river to the sea, is, of, oh, one, it's a phrase that I never use yeah, and have then. never used just until then, just I heard then, you. from the river to the sea. Yeah. OK, again, how many times have I used <laughs> it? About it's seven times. Yeah. You're making me say this if you yeah. if i get into trouble for using that phrase yeah but you're not chanting it yeah, or indeed exactly. singing it do you like want me Charlotte? to chant it i've got a really bad chanty voice <laughs> it'd be quite fun if you did having said i'm not using it anyway from the yeah, river to the, to the sea, sea. Yeah. exactly yeah. I, I don't use that phrase but actually when that phrase from the river to the sea is used by people with a history of anti-semitism and then they say oh no we're just talking about you know palestinian freedom well you're not and when it's used because there are some people who use that phrase to mean let's eradicate the Israelis and then there are Israelis like Netanyahu and actually in the Likud constitution who use the phrase from the river to the sea and in fact the Israeli ambassador to the United Kingdom who if anybody Israeli is listening please change her she's the worst person you could have sent over she's not a great advert for you but if when she uses that phrases like that from the river to the sea what they mean is no Palestinian state so I think this phrase is used at two extremes to mean no Israeli state no Palestinian state and then I think there's a whole load of people in the middle who who are using it to mean equal rights for Palestinians and Israelis in the lands between the river and the sea and whether that's a one state with equal rights or two two different states for two groups of people, whatever the interpretation of that is. But I come back to this. Look, if there is a phrase which is upsetting and offensive, isn't a good way to deal with that, to first of all have conversations like this and say, Mm. what exactly do you mean by that? And if it really bothers you, can we come to a space where we can find an agreement on that? The only well, thing I don't is- think that's going to happen. I mean, because I think that that's been adopted. And as I say, it's very little to do with a real imagination of any kind of one state or two state solution in Israel, Palestine. It's really just you know, a big social movement that wants a catchphrase rallying cry. I was going right? to say, do you think it's got a nice rhythm to it? Yeah, and no, that's totally it got a rhythm sense, to it. That's, that's totally why. about it, yeah. And also it rhymes. C is quite an easy rhyme. Trust me, yeah. I'm a lyricist, right? How do we want things to be from yeah. the river to the sea? I just made that up. How about yeah. that? Amazing. Yeah. So, by the way, I've used it really yeah. a lot in this and Jews will hate that. Yeah. But, what's but, the key to peace from the river to the sea? Or does that not No, make that doesn't sense? rhyme. That was rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> I won't give up my day job. But just just to finish talking about this, I think I need to make it clear that I am totally aware in my relaxed comedy talking about it that lots of Jews find it really offensive, and I understand why. It is sometimes used to mean that basically there should be no Jews left in that Mm. area, and that would mean 7 million Jews would somehow be displaced, killed, Mm. whatever it Mm. might be. And so I, I... Actually, even though I am quite relaxed about it, I was a bit like, felt a bit vulnerable about seeing it projected onto Parliament. Hmm. I did think, like, it's one thing people chanting it. It's another thing, just symbolically, to see a phrase that people do know, Hmm. right, that some Jews find really troubling, projected onto Parliament. I I accept that, David. I completely agree with you, David. I think there are people who use that phrase to mean no Israel, no Israelis in the lands between the river to the sea. But there are also Israelis who use that word to mean no Palestinians. No, but can I just interrupt that? Because I'm not bothered about that equivalence. What I'm bothered about is British Jews. Right? And my point is that it is an example of Jews not counting. Because whatever the word means, it is a fact that many British Jews find that phrase troubling. And I don't believe that anyone doing that projecting and like really wanting to see that thinks for a second, oh, what about the British Jews who find this troubling? They won't. Mm. 
you know. And you know, would it surprise you if I said to you that when when um, the seventh of October attacks happened, and then obviously the war in Gaza started, and the Israeli flag was projected onto buildings, including Number Ten, uh, the number of people who said who who actually felt that that was intimidating for them because what they said was that this isn't just the government saying we stand with Israel. This is the government saying that actually you don't matter. Muslims right. don't matter. And so I, I think, think, that's a, I think that's in moments good... of high tension, yeah. it's really important, I, which is why I actually think the FA was right not to project anybody's flag onto the, the Wembley Arch. You know, they didn't, put, they didn't project the Israeli flag and they didn't project the Palestinian flag. I think in a multiracial, multireligious society, increasingly we've got to find ways in which we basically try not to make create public situations where other communities feel vulnerable and uncomfortable. And it's why I want to have this conversation, David, and there are lots of other conversations happening because the reality is that you and I are talking at a time when relationships between British Jews and British Muslims are probably more fraught than they've ever been. Mm. Friendships have been tested, relationships have been tested, and the spaces, the number of safe spaces for people to have the conversations that we're having are increasingly uh, shrinking. And I also think that there are malign forces out there outside of both these two communities who are not helping. This uh, last couple of weeks has been an interesting um, shit show, both for the Labour Party and the Conservative Party. They've yeah. both they've <laughs> been fighting to be the most racist. Yeah, um, they've been so fighting they, to be the most shit in yeah. the big shit show. <laughs> They've been fighting the racist Olympics (laughs) and working out who gets the gold medal. (laughs) So if we were to give the gold medal of racism to whoever had done the worst over the last few weeks, Mm. who would you give it to? I'd probably give it to the Tories just at this very moment. But we don't know what's going to happen in Rochdale. Well, thank you for that, because actually it might be the only competition we win in the next few months. So I'll take take the gold medal for now. I'll send it to Rishi. Yeah, Okay. (laughs) We are going to be talking next week about the result of the Rochdale by-election. And, you know, there are some, in my opinion, extremely anti-Semitic people standing for that. So I might be revising who's won the racist Olympics. And I also hope we're going to be talking about something positive, because there is currently... a discussion to bring peace um, and stop the the war in Israel and Gaza and hopefully move towards a permanent ceasefire. And there is some suggestion by President Biden, although you never know when his compass mentors. He said this whilst he bought himself an ice cream, that there might be <laughs> a deal. But I clearly think he had some alcohol in it because he didn't sound as R- if he was Rum and there. raisin. Uh, rum and raisin with lots of rum. But he basically said that next Monday there is some suggestion that there might be a pause in the fighting and he did say that and it was immediately denied by both Hamas and Israeli spokespeople which probably suggests it's going to happen yeah that might be that it's going to happen so hopefully next week we'll have something positive to speak about when it comes to Israel and Palestine we're going to go there. We're going to go. And we're not going to just to be clear. We're not going to Israel or Palestine. I hope we do go to at Israel some and point. Palestine. We will go there, but we're not going there right now because it's too dangerous. Let's be straightforward yeah. about it. I'll tell you what. We what I'm going to do now is I'm going to teach you a bit of Yiddish. Shkoyach and Shkoyach is something that you say. It sort of means well done, congratulate, a combination of well done, congratulations. And shkoyach. I, shkoyach. Shkoyach. Shkoyach, that's good, you see. Because you're ethnic, you've got it much quicker than a white Christian would have done. Shkoyach means kind of, hooray, we've done it, right? Well, if you're actually congratulating somebody for something for an amazing moment, you would say to them in Urdu, Mubarak. Mubarak. Yeah, there you go. Shkoyach. Mubarak. We look forward to next week. Muslim and a Jew Go There was brought to you by Instinct Productions.